0: This podcast is a special security update from RAIN, the Risk Assistance Network and Exchange. Large scale Russian troop deployments along the Ukrainian border have markets concerned about the potential for a near term incursion, possibly accelerated by last week's cyber operations targeting Ukrainian government infrastructure. RAIN's Executive Director for Business Development, Ted Obenchain, speaks with the company's senior Eurasia specialist, Matthew Orr to explore the potential for a Russian offensive, possible alternatives to war, and what might come next from the geopolitical standoff. Mag, thanks so much for taking your time to sit down and talk about what is on the minds of a lot of our clients, a lot of our prospective clients, and a lot of participants in the market. It's an opportune time for us to be looking at the broader question of what's happening in Russia in regard to Ukraine. Um, If I were to look simply at coverage in the mainstream media, um, I might think we're on a you know a path toward war. And so that's really where I want to orient most of the conversation. If I looked at just a couple pieces here recently from the BBC and, the N- and NPR, uh, a couple comments stand out to me. One, just two days ago, um, the BBC reported an anonymous EU official saying that, quote, Europe is now closer to war than it has been since the breakup of the former Yugoslavia. And then just in a a report in NPR, they noted that uh, this is the greatest security crisis facing Europe since the Cold War. So um, big stakes. There's an apparent drumbeat of war. This is a situation that's been building, depending on your perspective, for either the last several months or arguably the last 20 or 30 years. So let's start with the most pointed question that I think is of probably greatest interest to the market, which is how likely do you think a military invasion is right now in the near term?
1: Thanks, Ted, for that framing of the issue. I, I think it, I think it's extremely uh, productive. To be clear, the possibility of a major Russian military action uh, against Ukraine uh, is significant. I mean, I would be willing to put it as high as 25%, but I don't think that it's the uh, most likely uh, scenario that, that we're facing uh, right now. And we, we can get into the reasons uh, for that.
0: That's a good jumping-off point. Um, why don't we talk about options short of war? Basically, what other plausible scenarios do you think are out there? And then let's come back to the question of why put a twenty-five percent estimate on what is a, a very major, uh, major situation, major scenario of an of an outright uh, war of some sort.
1: Yeah. So I think that Russia has several options uh, short of a major military operation against Ukraine. And that's that's one of uh, the reasons that the Kremlin may feel that it can get uh, the benefits uh, that it's receiving from this escalation without having to follow through with all the major consequences that it would inevitably receive if it did launch a military action against Ukraine. So some of the alternative uh, scenarios, uh, uh, the Russians refer to, to them as the military technical responses that they would take if its biggest demands regarding the non-expansion of NATO, uh, specifically no NATO presence in Ukraine and Ukraine not joining the alliance, if the alliance refuses to rule this out, then Russia has a lot of things that they could do uh, to respond. Um, I think the most likely one is that Russia will essentially seek to make the pressure that it's built on Ukraine right now, which is already wreaking havoc on Ukraine, by the way. Uh, investors are, you know, considering not investing in Ukraine as long as these Russian troops are parked all along Ukraine's, Russia's border with Ukraine and in Belarus. Uh, And so one way to essentially make that cost permanent would be to significantly increase Russia's military presence uh, in the western part of Russia, uh, near Ukraine, and specifically in Belarus. Uh, This would create a scenario where the tensions that we're seeing right now would would essentially be put into a a uh, near constant state that would uh, lead to fears in Ukraine and would significantly uh, hurt the long-term prospects of the U- Ukrainian economy because businesses may feel that the country is not a safe investment. And even if the Russians didn't invade years, this year, they could invade two years, so now four years, five years, et cetera. Um, so I think that's one of their major responses. Other responses that the Russians could take Uh, would be uh, related to arms control and missile deployments and the deployment of certain weapon systems uh, close to NATO countries, Um, so near the Baltic states, uh, in Belarus, uh, places like that. Uh, And essentially, Russia could again to erode a lot of the treaty and other military uh, agreements and infrastructure that have been built up uh, to show that it's not satisfied with the current security order in Europe, which is essentially, ostensibly, it's, its greatest demand a potentially more ambitious uh, response that is that is receiving a lot of attention in the Russian foreign policy community uh, would be to uh, uh, increase Russian military deployments in places like Latin America, specifically in Venezuela or Cuba. Uh, basically, uh, the, the Russians view Ukraine uh, as under the control of the United States and kind of uh, essentially being used by the United States as a way to pressure Russia. And so nat- naturally the symmetrical way to, res- to respond and to get the United States to take Russia's demands seriously would be to work hard on returning uh, Russian military infrastructure to the U.S.'s backyard, for example. So uh, I think that the, the bottom line is that Russia has all kinds of ways that it can respond and continue to make its demands felt and discussed in, in the West without having to immediately resort to these high, high uh, uh, impact uh, scenarios and high cost scenarios.
0: Thanks for framing out those other scenarios. Let's go back to the original comment you made about prospects for a, a military invasion. I don't know if you're making a distinction between, you know, a quote-unquote full-scale invasion or, or an invasion of a, of a smaller scale. So that may be something you want to comment on, but why, why do you put a 25% likelihood on that? And I assume that's probably higher than, well, I guess a question for you, is that higher than it's been in the past, say, in the lead-up to uh, previous events in 2014 involving Ukraine and the Crimea?
1: Yeah, this is definitely an unprecedented buildup on Ukraine's borders. So, for example, right now there's units from Russia's far eastern military district, which essentially borders Mongolia and China, uh, are for the first time arriving with Belarus, in Belarus with their equipment. Uh, and the, and the placement of the of these uh, of this equipment so close to Ukraine is unlike something we've we've ever seen, and it's more it's it's more extensive than even what we saw uh, in April, where the Russians did a similar thing to similarly get the United States United States's uh, attention. Uh, regarding other kind of military scenarios, this is a this is a, a really interesting and key point. Obviously, military experts have. You know, looked at all. You know, and Putin has said himself. I should add that Russia has all kinds of potential military responses and military options that it could use. Um, I I think the 25% likelihood um, refers to a a major Russian operation that essentially looks to seize large pieces uh, of the country, Um, and and that that, that I think is the most likely uh, military scenario. There are other scenarios that are discussed. For example. Um, a a limited incursion intended to uh, basically use political interplay to cause a coup coup in Kiev or to kill and destroy a large uh, uh, contingent of the Ukrainian army and make them defenseless and force Kiev into some sort of uh, political settlement. Um, I think that those scenarios are less likely because they entail uh, a lot of the high costs Without uh, the 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 benefits uh, of a of a larger scale, um, almost essentially full scale invasion, uh, because uh, they will the 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 West will sanction Russia, but uh, Russia won't actually return it, its crown jewel of of of, of fully controlling uh, U- Ukraine, and so I for that reason I I, I find those. Uh, those other military scenarios possible but uh definitely less likely than a, a a a military option that involves essentially seizing um a large piece of the country
0: all right let's excuse me shift gears and talk more about intent and objectives um I mentioned at the top of Top of the podcast that, depending on your perspective, this situation has been building for a series of months, or maybe even twenty or thirty years. Um, I know that we face this question from a series of clients most recently, as you've been leaning into a a variety of different conversations over the last probably four to six weeks, in particular. But I think it does raise the question of why is why is President Putin um, choosing to provoke this so called crisis right now? What what is it about the present moment that's Leading this situation to occur.
1: Yeah, that that's a really uh, important question. Uh, I'll start kind of from the the broad, and then we'll get down to the the specific. Uh, Broadly, it's because uh, Moscow believes that its relative power advantage vis a vis Ukraine is the strongest um, is is stronger now than it will likely be in the future. Uh, What that means is that. Uh, Russia understands that Ukraine's conventional military deterrent uh, is likely to continue to go grow stronger uh, in the coming years. Uh, this most notably uh, includes things like ballistic missiles which Ukraine, independent of cooperation with NATO or the West is seeking to uh, develop itself along with other military capabilities to make a Russian military action against their country much more costly for Moscow uh, and so seeing that very obvious development, Moscow is saying, well, you know, there's no point in putting off uh, an attempt to leverage our military advantage a year from now or two years from now or five years from now uh, they're, they're, or, or 40 even. They're saying that, um, uh, you know, Ukrainian uh, democratic values and national identity is going to continue to develop uh, towards the West and there's going to be fewer options for political interplay uh, and and pressuring Ukrainian elites to realign with us. And so they're saying that basically uh, that the long term factors all work against us, and that's why we need to use our leverage now rather uh, rather than, rather than uh, later. Um, in, in terms of short term, yeah, there's there's a lot of other factors. One is I think the U S pullout from Afghanistan, where Russia uh, knows that this experience is very fresh uh, on Western policymakers' minds, and not wanting to um, undergo a major uh, policy. Uh, 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 failure uh, twice in a row, I think there's this idea that uh, the, the, the Russians can use the threat of, of, a, of a big war and possibly tons of Ukrainian refugees streaming into Europe uh, to be another factor pressuring uh, the West to kind of give in to, to Russian demands. And finally, I would also point out that Putin, Putin is grow, growing older, and he understands that a, a lot of the, the NATO expansion that led to this situation uh, essentially, took place uh, under his watch and without uh, particular protest from from the Kremlin. Uh, it, the the protest really only only picked up um, uh, af- after the, Euro- uh, the 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 first uh, revolution in Ukraine, the Orange Revolution, uh, and, and even at that, that time was was relatively minor. And so now Putin feels that um, he he doesn't want to leave the kind of uh, continued decay of Russia's strategic stand uh, stance in Europe. To a potential successor. And so it's something that's saying that, you know, I've already done a lot to spoil my relations with, 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 with the West. And so it's probably my responsibility for the historical record to uh, at least start the process of reestablishing a strategic uh, security framework in, in Europe that I can essentially uh, leave to a successor um, uh, so that uh, it, it doesn't have to, to burden them. And they can basically um, uh, refer to me uh, when talking about the current situation.
0: Understood. And so now to the question of effectiveness, um, I note that there's been a fair amount of coverage in the last couple weeks in particular about what seems to be increasing solidarity both within NATO, within the European Union. I know that coming into the new year, the Germans uh, step back from formally and finally approving the Stream 2 pipeline. Um, is that solidarity real? And if so, is there evidence that you see of Putin's strategy potentially backfiring?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I don't see a lot of evidence of Putin's strategy backfiring for now. But I think that one of the biggest factors deterring Russia from a major military action against Ukraine is the very real prospect of such a a policy backfiring because the Kremlin and Russian foreign policy experts well understand that the best way to further increase uh, uh, European and transatlantic unity would to do this uh, this military action against Ukraine. Uh, and that totally flies in the face of, of what Russia has been trying to do for past years, which is, uh, basically a dividing conquer strategy in Europe of using energy resources and, 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 local connections with local elite networks to, uh, undermine European unity. And so, uh, I, I don't think that, that, that Russia would want to basically give NATO, uh, and the Europeans the big gift that would be, uh, the consolidating factor, uh, of a major, uh, aggressive act, uh, against Ukraine.
0: Okay. And final question, um, what, what's expected next from the standoff? Um, I know there's a series of decisions uh, upcoming here, at least some potential outcomes surrounding uh, the discussions between the West and Russia, I think, over the next week or so. So what do you expect next in, from the standoff?
1: Yeah, the, 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 the way forward uh, is at, at this time pretty unclear, but there are definitely some things that we can look forward to. So the biggest one is that the United States will uh, present to Russia this Friday it's formal written responses to Russia's uh, formal written demands for security guarantees. Uh, Russia will likely take time to respond to those. Um, and I think that, but I think that they will essentially uh, eventually respond to the, the United States answer. And that answer will be a very important kind of uh, 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 signpost for what's the further trajectory of this. If Russia says Uh, okay, we think that these talks are are productive and we're going to continue them despite continued large um, uh, major differences, and that's a very strong sign that we're continuing to go down uh, this diplomatic track. Uh, That doesn't mean that Russia will not keep tensions uh, very high. Quite the contrary. Uh, I think it's very clear that Russia will keep tensions high for at least a month, possibly more like two or three more months from now. Uh, and the clearest sign of this is obviously that uh, Russia and Belarus are conducting these large unplanned military exercises um, that will uh, see uh, Russian and Belarusian troops um, uh, exercising until least, at least February 20th. That is also, by the way, the same day that the Beijing uh, Olympics uh, will will wrap up. And so I think that uh, there, there's, there's a significant window um, after the 20th where Russian forces will linger around and will try to uh, uh, basically allow Russian negotiators to uh, uh, continue to negotiate when, they're, when they feel that their negotiating position is strongest and that the, the threat of, of, an, of a military action against Ukraine is the highest. Uh, and so Russia, the Russian diplomats certainly want their leverage uh, to peak um, uh, around the same time that, that the Russian invasion uh, uh, possibility uh, appears to be most likely.
0: Some more to come. The stakes are getting higher, and we'll certainly be monitoring it over the uh, over the immediate term. All right, Matt. Thanks very much for your time and expertise today. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much, Ted.